Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black. We are two for two on incredible guests this week. If you did not listen to the previous episode of the podcast, I did a lottery mock draft with the athletic Sam Vecini. And this guest who I have on with me today, it also means quite a deal to me that Jonathan Wasserman has agreed to come on the podcast and and talk a little NBA draft with me. I know going back to my days of doing some scouting work with Alon Vinokurov, Wasserman would hop on the War Room Hustle podcast with with Alon. Those two would have great conversations about specific players, but also scouting philosophies and the idea of scouting in general. So I'm so excited to have one of the best minds in the business on this podcast this afternoon. Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm good, Nathan. I forgot about the connection with Alon. He's become a, a good friend <laughs> over the years. He's become a good friend. And um, so, yeah, no, happy to uh, jump on. Absolutely. So one of your pieces, first first of all, if anyone doesn't read Jonathan's work over at Bleacher Report, all the draft work that he does, it's it's absolutely tremendous. But about a little over a week ago, one of the pieces that he wrote specifically caught my eye. And it was it was a draft sleepers piece. And there are some interesting prospects in there, four of them who we're going to talk about today, and then maybe we might have a few other points to hit about, ranked on his latest big board update that he actually just released yesterday. So I want to go through, talk about some of these guys. Some of them have absolutely piqued my interest. A few of them I've actually written about in my morning dunk column, and we've certainly talked about on podcasts. So I want to get Jonathan's opinion on some of these guys as well. So I figured we would start with these four guys, go in order from back to front in terms of how they ranked out on your latest big board. So actually coming in right at your 50 spot, you do a big board based on a top 50, is Josh Minot, um, the Memphis forward. He really caught my eye when I was preseason doing an exercise, Jonathan, kind of like Alon always encouraged us to do, to just go through some rosters and try and pick out the freshmen or some guys who really caught your eye. Maybe it's something you read about their backstory. Maybe it's just their measurables. Try and look up some information on them. Do a little bit of digging and and see if they're guys who you think are really going to be um, thoughtful evaluations as we get deeper into the scouting cycle, guys who might quite literally be diamonds in the rough. And Josh really caught my eye with his measurables. He's 6'8", 205 pounds. He hasn't done a ton on the court up until recently where he's actually been playing a much more significant role for Memphis. He's not going to catch your eye in terms of he's this awesome elite shot creator or he's this lockdown ball stopper on defense. But he just seems to make a lot of winning plays on the court. And when you look at some of the numbers, he's shooting 53% from the field. He does have to work on some of the jump shooting. That's probably his biggest weakness right now. He's only 33% from three-point range and 68% from the free-throw line. But when you look at some of his his advanced numbers, his per 40 numbers, 17.4 points per game, 10.7 rebounds, 2.4 steals, and 1.9 blocks. He has a almost a 119 offensive rating, a little under a 93 defensive rating, and a 7.5 box plus minus. For a freshman who, like I said, I mean, he really hasn't started coming on until he's gotten more minutes of late. So, Jonathan, why did Josh stand out to you as someone you definitely wanted to write about in the sleeper category? And why did he ultimately make it on this edition of your big board? 
First off, what do you need me on this podcast for? You just rattled off every <laughs> every major strength and selling point and stat to his to his name. I don't think I'm going to say anything new. But oh, uh, come on, you 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 do this much better than I do. You've been doing it for a lot longer than I have, man. Come on. Yeah, no, it's like you said. Um, we when you start the season, there's like a big group of obvious one and done freshmen. But every year we see guys who kind of surprise you, and or you know, players I'll admit that I didn't see a ton of. Uh, before they got to college, and Minot was one of them. I think the Iverson Roundball Classic was where I saw him the most, and maybe I think where he became more of a household name for scouts or somebody to you know, add to their watch list entering the season. And that, so that's what happened with me. And I was a little disappointed early in the season; he didn't play a ton. But yeah, like when you look at him, you know, he obviously just pops off the screen with his six-eight size and that combo forward versatility. Thought he'd be shooting a little bit more from from outside this year, uh, but I like the fact that he's kind of playing to his strengths and, and taking what the defense gives him. And like you said, one of the biggest reasons you like him, other than his measurables and and the skill set, which all projects the upside, is that he makes winning plays. He seems like every mm-hmm. time he's out there, good things are happening. And for a freshman on that particular team, uh, that that means something. I mean, it's almost like he's got like that veteran presence on the team where he's one of the lower profile names. And so that's that's always you know, feels good to see. And then um, I always like to look at field percentage and block percentage as like, if he's, if he's picking up defensive numbers like that, like his defensive activity activity is high. That means something to me. That means he's got good reaction. He gets it. He's he's active. He's energetic. Um, And then offensively, listen, he's finishing plays inside the arc. Um, I've seen him shoot before for uh, college and, and it's, it's something that you've, would bet on you'd bet on that he'd eventually be able to come average or or capable shooter so when you throw all these things into a blender you you get a prospect and whether it all comes together next year or in four years it's tough right now to decide that's kind of why i have him at 50 and let's be real here the difference between 65 and 50 and even <laughs> 40 at this point there's not much separating them it's basically just a tier and he's to me in that tier of exciting projects that you'd be willing to take somewhere in the second round. No, I, I agree with you completely. We, we joke about it all the time uh, over at our no ceilings collective where we're all looking at our boards and it's kind of like that 25 to 60 range is, is just an absolute crap shoot right now. And we're, we're all trying to figure it out for ourselves, but Josh stood, stood out to me and he still stands out to me as somebody who I have not had him in my top 30 up to this point. I have seen some people try to sneak him in at like the very back end of the first round, especially over the last few weeks. Obviously, Jonathan, he comes in at 50 for you in this edition of your board. If he were to start climbing into maybe not even like fully cracking that top 30, but let's say he cracks close enough and inside that like top 40, maybe he's in that like that 35 to 31 group sitting right outside, or maybe he could even crack into the first round of your board. What what are some of the things you think yourself as well as NBA scouts want to see from him over the course of the rest of this year? Because now it seems like he he has a role. He's locked in playing time. He's going to keep playing and hopefully he keeps producing for this team. But what do you want to see specifically? Yeah, shooting is the obvious the obvious thing right now. And I'm not sure how good of a shot creator he is or he's going to be. But based on his projected role, he's going to have to make outside shots for him to have first round value. I like that he's had what twelve uh, or twelve assists over his last four games or something like that. I can't remember. Um, so the passing, the playmaking, the good decision making—that's all really important for, to be an NBA role player. But 
to really, really sell NBA scouts. He's got to show he can make outside shots. He doesn't take a ton of free throws, so we just don't get to see his touch that much. And so that's, I think, the obvious thing scouts are going to want to see. That was impressive that you 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 were so close in getting that assist number right off the top of your head. It was 13. You were only one off. That's <laughs> that that's damn impressive. I wouldn't have pulled something like that out of my hat. That's that's why you're the professional, right? So <laughs> so let's let's move to another player in a similar mold who is not at number 50 on the latest spot of your board. He comes in at 36, which I think if you would have asked people a month ago where Alex Fudge could have possibly come in and ranked on a big board, I think a lot of people might have looked at you and just flat out said, who the hell is Alex Fudge? And that was certainly was my response about a month ago until I really started paying paying more attention to LSU. Obviously, you know, I'm not able to watch games every single minute of the day. So I kind of have to pick and choose my spots with what kind of conferences and what teams I'm tackling from week to week. LSU wasn't on my watch schedule as high of priority as some other teams, obviously with higher rank projected preseason players, but because of the whole Tari Eason fascination, you flip on LSU film and you see this kid, Alex Fudge, immediately stand out defensively once he gets on the court. Now, he is a little thin. He's 6'8", but he's only listed at 185 pounds. I'm not sure if even that listed weight might be a little generous, but obviously he doesn't necessarily have any standout offensive skills when you try and look through some of the numbers, but just defensively, as I'm sure you're going to talk about in a second, Jonathan, his, the, the way he plays defense, it's just so instinctual. And it, it's almost like his body just literally reacts in ways that I don't even know if his mind's fully like comprehending where his body's like going. Like if, if the opposing player in front of him tries to make a move to get around him or they go up for a shot, it's almost like his arms are going up before way before you would expect the normal defender to be contesting a shot or trying to make a play on the ball. It seems like the body, his body's moving autonomously, which is really, really interesting. You, you, rarely see that from any defensive prospect like when you try to put together some of the perimeter defense comparisons I know the name Matisse Thibel has been thrown around for him which Matisse Thibel I mean shoot he's one of the top like five to ten perimeter defenders in, in the NBA so that's that that's reaching for for a comp at least from in my opinion from what we've seen from Fudge I just don't think we've seen quite enough of him yet but just flipping on some examples on the tape i mean he's clearly a special prospect whether it's for this year or for next year so what's really stood out to you jonathan about fudge's ability to make an impact when he actually gets in the game i mean obviously it starts with with what you said it's the defense and scouts i've talked to honestly it seems like twitter is a lot higher on fudge than than nba scouts and i don't think they really see a one and done guy yep but i think there's this idea that so clearly special defensively that you might as well take him now, get him in your system, let him develop a couple of years in the G League, and then you may have something special in a couple of years without having to make a major investment. Um, I think he's one of those outlier prospects. Like he doesn't have to just, you know, you compare him to Thibel and the fact that Thibel really doesn't have to do anything offensively and he could still hold value to your team. And that's kind of what the idea is with Fudge. He's, he's special defensively with, with how fast he moves every direction and how fast he reacts in every direction. Um, and you look at the numbers again, back to the 4.1 um, 
a 4.2 steal rate and 6% block rate. I mean, those are wild numbers for a freshman wing. And so you just think if he's 18 years old, you know, what can he add over the next couple of years? You might as well get him in, get him in your system now and get him with pro coaches and working on that shot. All he really has to be able to do offensively is make decent decisions, knock down the open shot, and then add that crazy defensive value. I mean, and to me, that's the appeal. Would I take him in the first round this year? I mean, I don't know. Probably not, although we're a little early. I know that there's going to be other guys who rise um, who we're not talking about right now who improve enough, and, and they really you know, hop on our radar later on in the season. Fudge is one of those guys, you know, like, like JT Thor, where it's like he's not going to help you anytime soon, but you take him early in the second round and, and hope that he develops within your system, and, and uh, I think Fudge has enough upside you say, okay, I think the risk is worth the uh, the potential reward, you know, in, in the 30s or so. So, I mean, obviously, when, when you create a big board, you're trying to project out as to what you feel NBA teams are going to do and how that lines up with your own personal projections. So having him just outside that first round, would, 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 is his ascension more because of how special of a prospect he might be in time if you're patient enough with him to the point where this is the type of guy, like if you don't reach for him near the end of the first or early second, like he's he's definitely going to go somewhere else. It's not a guy who could completely slide out. Like, do you feel that it's because of his talent that he's kind of risen up your board or is it more so some of these other guys in like this 25 to 45 or 50 range that we've kind of been talking about, like some of these other guys just aren't creating enough separation or making interesting enough cases for themselves to where a guy like Alex Fuggs can, can maybe sneak in and, and even go maybe lay first in this draft. Listen, the problem with me doing big boards and I, and I kind of say this often, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I, I don't work for a t- I don't, I'm not picking for a specific team, right? Um, Yep. Every team's big board should look different. If I were to do, should honestly, what I really should do, and this would take me too long, but to do a big board for all 30 teams because they would look a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think if I'm, you know, a rebuilding team and I have a couple picks, Fudge is like, the, if he's my third pick of the draft, yeah, I'd be excited to take him in the early 30s as opposed to taking like Trevion Williams from Purdue or somebody, you know, much older. He's just like one of those like you know, high high risk, high reward type of guys who, who the right team, you might want to take a chance on and coming in. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say I saw a ton of film on fudge. I knew who he was. I'd seen some clips and stuff. I didn't know how good he was, uh, how athletic he was and how much that athleticism was going to translate to the defensive playmaking that it has so far. So to me again, uh, and I'm still, everything is fluid right now, but um, there's a, a basic board here, you know, in my mind, for 30 teams say this is like one of those flyers that just looks appealing to to let slide if you're a team uh, that can afford to stay patient so let's move a little deeper down your board with with prospects who we know are, are absolutely causing conversations and people are having conversations about them within nba front offices and on scouting staffs Let's move to a guy who I technically kind of threw into this exercise a little bit. You didn't write about him on that previous sleeper piece because I think Harrison Ingram's name has come up in enough conversations, but he's the guy, Jonathan, I would just, I would like your opinion on him because he's a guy who's given me a little bit of trouble 
in my evaluations. Obviously, he'll come out. He'll have a really good game where he does multiple things for you. Like that game I watched against USC, for example, was like three games ago, and he really stood out in that game from start to finish. But then he'll have some of these other contests where he's playing like 27 to 30 minutes a night, and he's really not doing much to stand out from a scoring standpoint, he's generally rebounding the ball and he's active in, in that regard on both ends. He he really covers a lot of bases for you in terms of fundamentals defensively, but just offensively, I don't know if I have a clear picture for how he's going to translate into the NBA. So what are some of your thoughts about Ingram overall, Jonathan, and what have you noticed in particular about his offensive game? Yeah, so to me, it's not surprising, nor is it concerning that he's going to have games like the last couple where he has like six points and five points and he really isn't a factor offensively um to me it's it's his fit and over the years i've started to put less stock into athletic ability and more stock into specific mixes of skills and versatility and guys who have the mind to optimize a particular skill set and i think ingram gets it um is he ever going to be a big time scorer in the nba no but we're talking about like I put him at 19, we're talking about the late first round pick. And so I think at that point, you really have to lower the bar and say, okay, if I get a role player here, that's a win. And to me, Harrison Ingram, as a role player skill set and mentality and high floor, you take into account his body, because it's like 6'8", 230. Um, and then he has the ability to make threes. He's a high passing IQ and good defensive tools. I think just those three skills or strengths alone in one player I'm throwing, the, again, the basketball IQ and just the ability to get things. And I think you have a good role player there. Um, and uh, I, I don't see a monster ceiling here, but again, I have him at 19. And, and you know, like, like I said before, I'm not picking for a specific team, whether he's 19, whether he's 22. No big difference depending on who I'm picking for. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's the range you should think about considering him. I, I just think he's somebody who's going to figure out how to fit in and contribute to winning basketball at both ends and be a low-maintenance guy. Like, a bad game from Ingram is not going to kill you. There are some other guys who, if they don't shoot well, they, they take you out of your offense. Um, you have to pull them. I mean, I don't think a bad game from Ingram really hurts your team. And uh, he's just he doesn't make too many mistakes out there. So I just see, uh, like, one of those high floors um, and a skill set that really fits today's NBA and really a skill set that fits any roster. It seems like his his rise up big boards is, is really tied to multiple players who have risen up big boards. As you kind of alluded to, this, this this player who has enough size and strength to be versatile on both ends of the floor, these low mistake players who clearly have a high IQ, they know what they're doing out there. You can trust them to maybe try a few things at times, but ultimately you know that they're going to play to their role and they're going to try to play to their team's strengths as much as possible. Like you have Harrison Ingram at 19, you put Jeremy Suhan at, at, at 16, Kendall Brown at 15. I mean, these were guys at the beginning of the year, uh, and, and I know Kendall Brown's had an even higher ascent uh, up some other boards. It depends who you talk to. But either way, some of these guys were, were not mentioned um, anywhere close to like top 30s in terms of like high priority watch list guys. So is, is that really, has that become a big factor for, for you over the years when you talk about making evaluations on some of these guys, that, that type of archetype of player, um, has that has that really become a big thing for you? Yeah, it kind of has. It, it's it's funny how it works. And I know that sometimes the logic doesn't add up. But patterns over the years, like, they kind of stick. 
and you see a guy succeed a couple years ago and seeing guys succeed after that with a similar type of projection and skill set, and it kind of affects the way you think about new players and, and how they're fit into the game. And so maybe like maybe six years ago, I wouldn't have been too high on Ingram, but uh, now I kind of am. I have an easier time picturing and fitting, fitting in. Speaking of taking some things from previous years, maybe having a little more patience with prospects, understanding that sometimes, as, as our good friend of this podcast, Tyler Rucker, always says, sometimes it just takes time. The last guy who I had pegged to talk about specifically from your sleeper prospect piece has come in. He's been much better, especially over the last few weeks. Um, he, he's had a few standout performances outside of just that Butler game near the beginning of the year is Max Christie, the 6'6", Michigan State wing, who you even wrote about that, that you've been preaching patience with him through weeks of poor shooting early in the season. He's looked more confident over the last few weeks. But there's there's a, a large number of people, you, you point out specifically on like Twitter circles, for example, who have dropped him down boards, and he's no longer that late lottery to mid first round target, as a lot of people, myself included, earlier on in the year, wanted to, to peg him has. So what, what does Christie do for you on the court specifically to give you that patience to be able to stick with him here versus some of these other guys who they've put together better seasons of late, they've shown more production? What, what, what has Christie shown you to give you that patience to ultimately stick with him in like this mid-first round range? First off, just buying is the eye test for me on his jumper. Like I just, I, I don't care about the percentages. And at the end of the day, you talk percentages for a shooter as a freshman in college. We're talking about 25, 30 games at 18 years old. Like that, that shouldn't matter too much. That's just like a bad slump in the, you know, in the middle of a season. I've seen Christie, you know, a lot of his senior year. I know that he could shoot better than what he did earlier in the season. By his mechanics, by his fundamentals in terms of his balance, uh, running off screens and getting into pull-ups and it's just fundamentals on, on how to position himself for a high percentage jump shot. And I'm, I'm buying his ability to eventually knock him down the more consistent rate. And I think he's got a little extra pop and explosion when he's got you know, a runway to, to jump off. Um, no, he's not going to be a big playmaker, but I think the, again, going back to combination of skills, his perimeter game, his decision making, his defensive tools. I, I just I see a I see a role player at the, at the NBA level. I actually had a scout text me the other day that uh, he thinks Christie's going to go a lot higher than earlier in the draft than what the people are saying, mm -hmm. and, and that also plays into I think he's a, he's a really high character kid. If you listen to him speak and if you dig into his background, I think he's going to do really well in interviews, and he's going to look good in workouts because again that jumper is going to look much better in an open gym than it does. During a season when he can go through slumps, he doesn't have the ball in his hands a ton, which can impact his rhythm. So again, I just if you're buying his shooting, then you're buying his fit. To me, I buy his shooting and I buy his fit as kind of a complementary score who doesn't need a ton of touches. That that last point that you just made, complementary score who doesn't require a ton of touches, that that's very fitting because I believe and I don't know if it's to today, but at one point over the last week, I did see that he's Michigan State's third leading scorer, despite having some of these slumps, despite not being as involved in the offense as you would expect your more traditional lottery pick 
type of player to be. He still generates efficient offense with what he knows how to do, and there is still some upside there. I really like the floater game that he showed a few times earlier on in the season. If he is as efficient of a movement shooter um, as we've seen in certain games this year, and that's going to translate for him, I mean, he could really be a big-time shooter in the NBA with 6'6 size. I think he's, I think he's a little bigger than some people want to give him credit for. I, I can't wait to see him in person in, in a few weeks when they play Rutgers. I think he is a little bit bigger than people want to give him credit for. And then defensively, he really gets after it. He fights on the perimeter as well. So that's just, as you said, it's a really translatable player to the point where, yeah, he might not have shot the best from the field, but at the same time, you should buy into the eye test. You should believe in your evaluation process and, and have some conviction in what you're ultimately seeing on the court. So I agree with you. I think he is a player who needs to, come back up a little bit on certain boards if he's not there. And another point, I think we kind of get caught up too much in self-creation. And uh, This guy can't get his own shot. Well, I think a guy like Christie, I think sometimes that self-creation can be um, put too much stock into it. And another form of self-creation is getting yourself open yep. and shot-making versatility. And, you know, there are guys like, I mean, he's not Clay Thompson, but Clay Thompson averages 20-plus a game, and he's not a self-creator. He's a guy who knows how to get himself open and put himself in position to catch and finish or catch and shoot. I think Christie is that type of guy who doesn't need fancy one-on-one -on -one moves uh, to put up 20 points. And, 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 again, he just gets it. So I'm, I'm, I'm buying his basketball IQ and, and that shot-making ability and shot-making versatility. So while I have you, Jonathan, I do have some questions about a few players who I didn't initially write down, but they're on your board. So I, I want to get your opinions and, and I'll start. I'll start. I'll go a little more forward. I'll go to Jaden Hardy at number 12, who seems to be the one of the toughest evaluations in this draft class based on what he's done with the G League Ignite team. He's had his highs. He's had a lot of lows. I think that he's actually gotten better in some respects, as an offensive player playing for G League Ignite, they put the ball in his hands. They've asked him to run more pick and roll than he's probably been more experienced at doing. He's going up against tougher competition and trying to play to a different style in terms of getting others involved. And he's likely had to play at previous points during his earlier career. And I see some flashes. I see him making some better passing decisions. Is his shot selection always the greatest thing in the world? No. But at the same time, I don't know if he really has justified falling down like 20 to 25 spots on, on some boards that I've seen. Maybe he's not like the projected top five pick that he once was, but I think booting him that far out of the lottery, in my opinion, seems a little drastic. Um, the, the biggest thing to me that stands out with his game is that I just don't think he, he's a very good dribbler of the basketball. And I think that's what leads to trouble more often than not. Um, some people had questions about, is he quick enough? Is he fast enough to get the different spots on the court? I don't really see that as an issue. I see his handle being the, the biggest overall issue for him, but you've stuck with him, Jonathan at 12. Why have you wanted to remain in at least lottery level on, on Hardy? I, I don't have a, you know, I'm still in the process of deciding what I think of him. And so he started like, I started, a five like he did for almost everybody else and now he's at 12 and i'll say that it's possible he slides down more i think to me the disappointing thing just using my eye test is i having gone having watched him in the high school environment and then against g league competition which is you know a, a tough contrast and tough to just 
figure out what works and what, 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 what will work and what doesn't. He's not as explosive as I thought he was in terms of creating separation. Some of the delivery of his moves seem a little bit slower, like he gets a shot off a little bit slower. Um, and so I wonder if he's going to be able to create the separation that he needs to to be a, a high-end, a high-level NBA scorer because it's not really a, a guy you want to run your offense through in my mind. I think his moneymaker is going to be putting the ball in the basket. And, of course, he's going to handle the ball, so naturally that's going to translate to some playmaking opportunities and assists. For him to justify top 10 consideration, he's got to be a big-time scorer. And uh, I still question whether, again, he can get that separation that he needs uh, to be that guy. Having said that, he's still very skilled. He's 6'4". He does have mm-hmm. some, some you know, bursts turning the corner and has some nice glimpses attacking. Of course, his shot-making ability is tremendous. And he's got deep... You know, deep NBA range and hit contested shots. He needs to take a lot of tough shots uh, to get his points. And I mean, that's, that's a concern. On the other hand, he's 19 and he's scoring uh, against legitimate competition. So uh, I'm in the middle of forming an opinion. I'm not there yet. That's kind of why I dropped into 12 and not to 18 or 20. Um, there's still time left. I still haven't seen all of his games. I got to admit, I have some catching up to do on the Ignite. But, um, but yeah, he's he's slipped in my mind. I, I haven't decided how much he's going to slip. I can't see him moving back into that first and second tier. Obviously, there's the three bigs. Now we're talking about Shaden Sharp joining this class, and <laughs> um, which I swear I just found out 20 minutes ago. And um, Johnny Davis and Jaden Ivey. I mean, that that's a solid group in the beginning. I can't see myself putting Hardy in that group. Um, the next group, that late lottery group, is where I have him right now. Um, but I, again, I, I'm I'm still waiting to to form a concrete opinion on how easily I think he's going to be able to create his his own shot at the NBA level. Can I ask you, since you mentioned the name really quickly, not looking for a deep dive on a prospect, but from someone who has paid so much attention to this class, I have not watched a minute of Shane Sharp, and I know you, Jonathan, at the very least, you do your homework. Um, you, you're at high school showcase events. You're at high school tournaments. You do see these guys before they set foot at the college level. From so, for, for someone who has not seen a minute of him and who now has to seemingly go and do a deep dive on him and for, for where he's projected to go on everybody just talking about him right now, what, what should I know before trying to dive into Shane Sharp film? Crazy athlete and awesome shot maker. The in-between game is kind of what we're trying to figure out and, and what I would like to learn more about. So he can create his own shot away from the basket and he can fly high above the basket. But what he does off the dribble in between to me is still a big question. But even if that part never develops or we find out that he really doesn't have much of a much playmaking or, or much, you know, there's a lot of attacking to his game. Uh, I think the shot making athleticism alone, that combination for his age, is pretty special. I mean, we I think we immediately have to at least talk about him as a top ten pick in this draft, even if he never plays a minute at Kentucky. I hope he does, you know, for selfish reasons, so we can see. <laughs> if I were to give him any hint of advice, I'd say don't suit up. I mean, he's going to go top ten if he doesn't suit up, and yeah, he could help himself a little bit if he does. I'm sure. Maybe he could help himself a lot and really, you know, jump into the same group with the top three bigs of this class. 
I don't I I don't have a confident enough take to say that yet he can do that yet. But yeah, again, he's his pull up game, his fall away game, is pretty special. Regard his size, and then again, his quickness, his quick jump, his bounce around the rim. He, he's going to create a ton of highlights. Whatever setting he plays in, whenever he plays. So really, it's that shot making and bounce combination that makes him so appealing. So the last guy going even closer to the top of the draft who I want to ask you about before I just have a, a fun name for, for you to sell a little bit of an internal debate with near the end. Um, I, I technically had Johnny Davis week on, on this podcast and, and really everything that I was writing about last week. Um, but while I have you, Jonathan, I mean, his rise is, is, is crazy. I, he was not on another one of these guys who wasn't on like a preseason priority watch list for me. He didn't do a ton at Wisconsin last year, but I did have um, well, one of our fellow writers and no ceilings, Tyler Metcalf. He came on my podcast last week. Somebody who did pay attention to what he did last year. And he said there were some flashes last year, but I don't think anybody saw coming what he's become this year. So he does sit at number five on your board, obviously we're, we're as early in the process as, as ever. It's a fluctuating board, but what has he done in your opinion to cement himself for the time being at this number five spot? What's really impressed you about Johnny Davis's rise the most? I mean, everything. Like, what, <laughs> what has he done wrong? He's been, uh, he's been pretty amazing. I mean, I always like to think like if you didn't have any, if you'd never seen any player before nobody had any reputation and you're watching these guys for the first time you'd be like okay this is the best score in the country or this is the best guard in the draft uh, i mean the fact that he wasn't very productive last year kind of plays into your mind like okay is this a little bit fluky yep if you're starting your evaluation right now you're like this kid's an nba star um i think the biggest question for me it's funny because i i after i wrote my big board um this was before he played his last game and I said, ah, my big question mark with him is the three-point volume. Like, if he's he's not really a playmaker, so he's going to have to be a big-time scorer. And for a big-time scorer, the three-point volume is a little low for me. And I'm not really convinced his form and, and his, his NBA range translating. And then he went out and hit four or five threes. Uh, last <laughs> night, and I had to erase that whole section because <laughs> I knew I could shoot more. <laughs> and, uh, and, I mean, to me, it's the... I, I watched him last year. He never really stood out. And then obviously he didn't stand out with the World Cup team this year. Um, and it's just weird. It's, it's almost like, it's like, why do I spend so much time trying to predict breakout guys before the season when this can happen? You, know, you, you just couldn't really predict this. And, uh, and I mean, what is there to say? He's suddenly a, a really sharp shot creator inside the arc. He's separating the mid-range pull-ups and hitting shots out of the post. And he's shown the ability to catch fire from three. And he's really improved his whole creation and shot-making skill set while maintaining that dog toughness yep. you know, edge that he has, which is, I guess, if there was a reason to like him last year, it's because he's strong, he's tough. Um, he'll defend, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll play through contact. But he kept that and then managed to become a three-level skilled scorer. Like I had a scout the other day say, and I disagreed with this scout, and this is before that three-point game, Said he reminded him of Devin Booker and a little bit of Bradley Beal. I said, ah, I think you're reaching there a little bit. But I don't know. I mean, can you? This is one jump. Whims if he makes another jump next year. And um, he seems like the type of competitor you want to bet on. 
and he's got the, uh, the the clutch factor. He's had a number of big shots this year. He doesn't seem afraid of the big moment. Like it, it's it's tough to find really a glaring hole in his game. Even before, I, I wasn't even sold on his athleticism, and this year he's had some like really explosive highlights attacking the basket, both hands. And so it's tough to really find a hole in this game for me. I I guess if I were to really complain and nitpick, I I don't like guards who aren't cis guys. I think that really reduces your margin for error. And so he, he's really got to be a, a consistent three-point shooter to me if he's not going to be a big playmaker. But maybe he will be a consistent three-point shooter. I mean, his shot is falling uh, consistent enough for his age and for a guy who's really emerges a number one option where defenses are focused on him. Like, it, it's tough to nitpick. And, and so I put him at number five overall. I wouldn't be shocked if he is the first guard taken in this draft over Ivy who maybe has a little bit more theoretical upside because he's more he's, he's quicker and more explosive. But from a skill standpoint, from an impact winning standpoint, uh, intangibles, all that stuff, I think teams are going to fall in love with Johnny Davis. So what you just ended on was where I was going to go with my last question specifically on Johnny Davis, which I know I, I, I pride myself on a lot of the lessons that I've learned from somebody like Alon, for example, where try and do all of your homework, try and have the majority of your evaluations done before the NCAA tournament so that you're not necessarily swayed drastically one way or the other. If, if you try and figure some things out during the tournament, maybe answer a, a few small questions, but don't let the tournament necessarily drag you in a, in a complete opposite direction one way or the other. However, as close to that philosophy as, as you and I might fall on, Jonathan, there are NBA teams with executives and front offices who watch these tournament games, and this is really the first time that some of these people are laying eyes on these prospects. And if Johnny Davis does something crazy, like drag that Wisconsin team to a national title, it would it be in reason to see his stock climb and even challenge that top three that everybody's kind of solidified as yeah, nothing's despite what happens, these are the three guys that are going to go one, two, and three in, in whichever order in, in the draft. Could he challenge those guys if something crazy like that happened? I'll say this. I think he can go top three, and, I, and totally ironic. The guy I have at number one, Chet Holmgren, I think is the most vulnerable to fall to number four. So I think everyone feels pretty safe about Paolo. Everyone's infatuated with Jabari Smith to the point where if I had to make a bet right now, I'd probably bet Smith goes number one. I still have... I'm picking. I'm. St- I'm still too intrigued by Chet's upside, but there are enough guys who question Chet. Depending on how the draft order played out, and you know, eye of the beholder. That's really. It depends who's on the board, who's picking. But yes, I think it's possible that Johnny Davis sneaks into the top three. I don't think he goes number one. But I think uh, of all the guys were of the the non-big three. I think. I think Davis has the best chance. To, to shake up that top three and sneak in there. And I think if he's going to replace somebody, it's going to be Chet. I would agree with you in terms of Johnny being the guard who could maybe shake things up in the top three. But it's funny you mention Chet. You feel, when talking to other people, you get kind of the sense that if anybody could fall, it might be him. Chad Ford just published his latest mock draft by the, the by the time we're recording this podcast. And he, he did have Chet at number four. He actually had Jay Nivey at two, so not necessarily to point a question in Jay Nivey's direction, but if, if you've kind of gotten the feeling, what's been your sense of why Chet might be the guy out of those three to to fall? Why, why, why might he be the guy 
to to fall to that number four spot. I mean, I just think based on the risk of his body, and he doesn't have the production like the other guys do. And he's not an initiator. He's not somebody you can necessarily run offense through. Whereas you can through Paolo, can through Johnny Davis. Um, I think nobody knows to be i mean i think like there's so much so much upside and mystery and and fun things that he could be with chet i think there's you know can his body hold up is he going to be injury prone um and yeah that's really it i just i, I think it's as simple as that that body and we, we just haven't seen 195 pounds seven footers become Superstars, and and, and uh, I don't remember what Giannis was in terms of his weight coming out of. There's just uh, it, it's for some people it just might be tougher to envision Chet becoming a superstar. Maybe they'll see him more as Porzingis, or you know I've heard like what's the difference between him and Bol Bol? I've heard that stupid question. And I don't have I, I don't have another <laughs> 45 minutes to talk about that, but I just think that th- th- those bodies are scary, and so that would be the only reason. All right, the last name. It's it's a fun name for a, a little internal debate that we've been having over at No Ceilings, but I, I, I want your opinion on this guy. I know what you're thinking. I brought you on a podcast to give a little bit of a sentiment about Christian Brown. I know, as crazy as that might sound, you do have him at 21, and we're not we're not shattering worlds here. Nobody's saying he's gonna be a star. But there, there are quite a number of people who don't believe that, that he's a first-round pick. And Christian Brown's been somebody I wanted to buy into dating back to last year. I just think the dude at his size does enough things on the court. He, he just knows how to play basketball. He knows how to defend guys. He's as tough and competitive as anybody else in the Big 12 Conference. He can pass, I think, better than some people want to give him credit for. I, he's a better athlete, I think, than people want to give him credit for. To me, the, the biggest hindrance is obviously the outside shot. If he's not better than like a 33 34% three-point shooter, I understand the concerns that some people have. They can't fully envision what his role is on the court. But from another person, Jonathan, who does have him right now as a first-round pick, can you sell some people in my audience on why you would have him as a first-round pick as opposed to having him outside the first round? I think teams are going to look at the success of Franz Wagner and use it to sell themselves on Christian Brown. I think the numbers are awfully similar to last year. Wagner's bigger. Um, but I think, again, teams put so much stock into versatility. It's like when all else fails, just buy versatility, and that's what they do. And he's... Six six strong. Uh, he's a competitor. He's a shit talker. Is uh, he passes? He finishes at a really high level, and he's shooting eighty two percent from the free throw line. Yeah, did he improve his three point shooting? Sure, but like when he's open, kind of expect him to make it. So I think somebody's going to buy him becoming a capable shooter between the eye test on his makes, his free throw percentage. And then throw in the fact that he's monster in transition. Um, you know, he's intense. He, he's a defensive playmaker. Like, he just checks a lot of boxes the same way Wagner does. And, uh, again, versatility is just so hot right now. And, and um, 
I, I, I kind of tried to get on it early and put him in the first round. I, I just totally see him climbing up boards as the season goes on. I agree with you. I think you're right. I know Tyler on our staff would certainly think you're you're right as well. So that that's a great note to end on. Christian Brown, if you don't have him in your first round, put him in your first round, flip some tape on. You're going to love what you see. But Jonathan, thank you so much for giving some of your time today to, to talk to me on the Draft Deeper podcast. Just one time for my audience, if for whatever reason, for whatever stupid reason they might have where they're not already following you on Twitter or any other forms of social media that you communicate on, please just plug everything that you do for, for my audience because you really are you really are one of the best draft minds in the business. I've been following your work for so many years. Seriously, it, it's, it's an honor that, that you did come on this show. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I'm, I'm blushing. I'm flattered. I appreciate those words, Nathan. Um, be a draft loss on Twitter, but usually, you know, like everybody else, put the links out there. And uh, that's it. I, I don't even know what I have coming up. Um, it's it's a, a constant flow of draft content. So if you're into it, follow along. The the I, I would agree with that statement. You never know what's coming next because this draft, this draft in particular, has just sent me in so many different directions. I'm trying to like get myself like, all right, what <laughs> what are we doing? I feel like I get pulled somewhere different every other day. But that is going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you aren't subscribed to this podcast, please make sure you go do so wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Follow me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. Follow No Ceilings on Twitter at no ceilings NBA, go subscribe to the Substack, no ceilings that substack.com. We are putting out draft content every single day, Monday through Friday. We just released a combined mock draft of our own where we sat down through an excruciating exercise and we tried our best to mock out picks one through 30. It was a little bit of a painful process at this point early in the year, but we sat down, we did it. We're proud of it. So certainly go and check out our thoughts on where we see the top 35 falling at this particular moment in time for everyone listening out there again thank you so much for the support and support you've shown me i hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week thank you